Khan Academy Digital Sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. In this episode, 1st of January 2021 is fast approaching and with it the end of the Brexit transition period. What steps do businesses need to take now to minimise disruption to their intellectual property portfolio? What measures have been put in place to preserve EU-wide rights? And how should businesses change their brand protection strategies going forward? Hello and welcome to the Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions podcast. I'm Nadine Mir, a partner and head of private equity at Mishcon Rare, and I'm joined by my colleague Sally Britton, head of brands. Sally, the end of the transition period looks set to provide disruption. What are the key changes from an intellectual property perspective and how can any disruption be minimised? Thanks, Nadine. The good news is that the package of measures in the withdrawal agreement has, has set to minimise any disruption. However, there are steps that brand owners need to take now. For example, many brand owners have relied on EU-wide rights. Those rights will need to be filed in the UK and the EU after the 1st of January. So they'll need to patch that into their plans and budget now. So does that mean that clients who've got existing EU-wide registrations would have to refile in the UK? No, they wouldn't actually, because the withdrawal agreement ensures that those rights will be preserved in the UK. They'll be free of costs. No steps required to be taken, right that's created in the UK, a cloned right. However, if you've got an application, you'll need to think about uh, filing a new application in the UK within the nine-month window that is permitted under the withdrawal agreement. Uh, So until 30th of September 2021. Okay. So if I was a brand owner, how would I be able to find out about my new rights and and this deadline? Well, listen to a podcast like this or read one of the many pieces of information that we're sending out and others are too. Um, There isn't going to be a notification. So brand owners do need to be alive to the changes that are coming along because they could miss on the potential new rights that are being created. Also, the new rights that are being created will need to be renewed separately. So they'll need to add those rights to their databases, think about the separate renewal dates, uh, and again, make sure that no rights are lost over this period. Apart from owner details, is there anything else that would have to be updated before the end of the transition period? So it's important because the cloned rights are being created on the basis of the EU-wide rights that are in existence at the moment, that the register is kept up to date. So things like, you know, name and address details, as we've mentioned, but also there is specific with provision within the withdrawal agreement about licenses. So making sure that uh, licenses are entered into the EU register so they can equally be registered onto the UK register within the period permitted by the withdrawal agreement. So it's important that Brand owners think about uh, whether they should be recording those licenses and updating uh, the registration in relation to their details. What's the position regarding trademark disputes? If there's an existing dispute, is that automatically going to be carried over from the EU registry in relation to UK rights that are created as a result of this process? Well, it really depends whether the dispute relates to an application or a registration. If it's an application, a cloned right won't automatically be created. So it will be up to you, the brand owner, to monitor the UK register and see if the party that you're in a dispute with is going to file a new application. And if they file a new application, you'll have to file a separate opposition. So plan for that and budget for that and and look at putting watching services in place. If it's a registration, there's a real benefit to filing a, a challenge against a registration now to an EU wide registration because the UK uh, Intellectual Property Office has confirmed that they will, unless there are reasons not to, 
they will um, respect the decision that's taken in relation to the newly created cloned uh, UK rights. So it's important that people think about when the timing of particular disputes, you know, what the optimum timing is, and they budget more for new disputes in the UK. And are trademark registry disputes different in the UK compared to the EU? So there are some significant differences. So EU registry proceedings are very much paper-based. And also, if you file an opposition, it will go all the way through to a decision. In the UK, it's a, it's a lot more akin to litigation. You can have case management conferences, you can have disclosure, um, and you quite often have a hearing. So that's not only more expensive, it's also more complex. Um, but the good news is that actually, if you file an opposition and the other party doesn't respond, you automatically win. So there are benefits to filing in the UK, but there are also benefits in understanding what the procedure is in the UK as opposed to the EU. Do you think we're going to see divergence from EU decisions in relation to disputes? Well, I think we've all seen uh, that UK courts have widely criticised some EU decisions. There's some prominent decisions that have been regularly criticised in the UK courts. It's been the case uh, for a while that the Supreme Court could challenge uh, existing Court of Justice decisions, CJE decisions, but actually now the Appeal Court can challenge them as well. Um, And we expect to see some divergence in the future. Now, there's been lots of discussion around protection of unregistered design rights. What do businesses need to consider here? So uh, we've been working closely uh, with a number of industry bodies like the British Fashion Council looking at design rights and gaps in protection. Uh, Because at the moment, uh, the reality is that designs, uh, by their very nature, change. uh, And a lot of companies, rather than investing in registration, they look at securing their rights through unregistered uh, design protections that are available at the moment. At the moment, there is an EU-wide unregistered rights protection, which is a go-to for many designers. Um, It's available when that uh, design is disclosed in the EU. And quite simply, once we leave the EU, if you disclose that design in the UK, Uh, then it's likely to destroy that EU-wide unregistered design right. And most people wouldn't have even known it existed until the issue arose. So what we're asking clients to do to think a little bit more about their design rights and and plan a little bit more carefully. The UK government following lobbying, um, as I say, by various industry bodies, which we've been involved in, have created a new design right that's equivalent to this EU-wide design right in the UK. But in that case, it's only a UK-wide right, and at the moment, it requires rights to be disclosed in the UK. So, you know, put it quite simply, if you, say, did a showcase of your design in the UK, you get rights in the UK. If you do a showcase of your rights in the EU, the current understanding is that those rights would only be in the EU, and that's the EU, of course, without the UK. So what can designers do? Well, as I say, think about it more proactively. Um, A simple solution is to file um, more applications uh, for design registrations because that solves the problem conclusively. But we're aware there is a cost to that. There is a benefit in doing that at the moment because with the cloning that will take place on the 1st of January, there's still an opportunity to file registrations now and get cloned registrations in the UK. So that's definitely an option. If that's not an option, then clients are thinking about things like, uh, for example, simultaneous disclosure. So You might show something um, on the catwalk at London, or actually virtually now, more so, London Fashion Week, and you might simultaneously show it uh, in the EU to try and get protection in both jurisdictions. Uh, Finally, there is an EU uh, decision uh, suggesting that copyright might apply. Um, However, obviously, alongside other um, EU decisions, this may uh, be open to challenge in the UK. We'll have to see how it's interpreted. 
So I'd say pay more attention to your designs than than before and actually talk to your marketing and your sales teams and think about integrating things like international disclosure into your strategy, which will also give you additional rights from an IP perspective. If I've got a commercial agreement, say a license that covered EU-wide rights, what would happen with that? So there's quite a few things to consider here. I mean, by default, the UK government's confirmed that agreements relating to EUTM or EU-wide um, right design registrations in existence before the 31st of December will cover comparable UK rights. But it also will depend on the terms of the parties' agreements. You also want to think about whether you need to notify licensees of the new right and also check if you've got a coexistency agreement in place. For example, you've agreed not to register new applications or not to obtain new applications for a certain mark and suddenly you are obtaining them almost by default think about actually whether you need to use the UK's process to surrender those rights there is an opt-out process uh, specifically for um, those rights and also you know an obvious one um, but maybe one that's that's might have been overlooked by many is check the agreements generally look at the definition of territory Uh, look at governing law and jurisdiction. Uh, Many people assume that the EU would simply expand. They didn't anticipate that it would uh, contract. So we can expect a little bit of litigation around there. Of course, people can use that to their advantage to try and renegotiate terms to put them in a better position. Or they could simply look into them, audit them and, and, you know, maybe approach it at a later date. But do be aware of what your agreements contain and, and whether there's any opportunities to address them. What's the position going to be regarding customs and counterfeit goods? Okay, well, there's a couple of things to think about here. So there is something to encourage customs. So a lot of the brand owners that that we work with um, have used applications for action, which are notifications that you send to customs, basically bringing to their attention more readily. I mean, they will notify you uh, frequently, you know, when they come across counterfeit goods, but many brand owners use these applications to bring their goods to the attention of customs and and help facilitate the seizure of uh, counterfeit goods. At the moment, there's an EU-wide system. After the 1st of January, you'll need to think about potentially filing new applications. If you filed one of these AFAs via the UK, then you'll need to file a new application in the EU and you can do that now. Similarly, if you filed one in the EU, you'll need to file one in the UK. So that's what you need to think about with counterfeit goods. Again, it's a a separate jurisdiction. It's about thinking about a little bit more administration. Um, But obviously, if you've already gone through the process of creating an AFA, then hopefully that process will be straightforward. But it's important to note that a separate form will be required. Um, In terms of exhaustion, uh, obviously, this is one that's uh, quite a hot topic at the moment because obviously because of COVID, amongst other things. Exhaustion really is all around trademarks, whether goods can be kind of sold. A lot of people talk about parallel imports, for example, whether someone can restrict the sale of a product with a trademark from one territory to another. At the moment, if you put something on the market in the EEA, whilst we're in the transition period, that trademark's exhausted. So you can't prevent its resale within the EEA. And there's a lot of case law around this. It's quite a complex area, which obviously I'd invite anyone to to discuss with us. Um, There's different positions in relation to exhaustion post the 1st of January. If you are someone who's put something into the market in the UK, you will likely need to seek permission uh, from the rights owner to put it onto the market in the EEA. So, you know, you won't necessarily have the permissions to put it on the market in the EEA. Conversely, if something is put on the market, say, in France after the 1st of January, 
the, the person who does that will be able to freely sell it into the UK. So that's something for agents, distributors to, to think about, particularly those based in the UK and those with relationships uh, with others in the EEA. So that's uh, exhaustion. But that is, again, a hot topic. Uh, the UK government said that exhaustion will be uh, considered. Uh, and obviously, this is a position that's considered at the moment. For example, it facilitates drugs to come into the country and other items. So at the moment, we have EEA exhaustion. Okay. Sally.eu domain names. Personally, I can't say that I've seen too many of them. But if you were to have any, what would you need to consider? I think you're right. They haven't really taken off, uh, but they were introduced quite a few years ago, maybe 10 or so years ago. But not too many people have used them. But some people do and some people have them in their portfolio. But there is a requirement of ownership and UK uh, citizens and entities who are not resident in or do not have an established place of business in the EU, and that's the EU without the UK, of course, will not be able to register or renew them. So People need to think about this because if they're, for example, using it for a a, a kind of website or an email, it will be potentially revoked and disabled. So from the 1st of January, it will no longer work, essentially. And I do sometimes come across, less so, I I haven't really come across it a great deal, but I do occasionally see, potentially as a consumer, uh, people who have chosen to use EU because, you know, the domain name they wanted was available. Do think about the fact that that may trip you up and do plan because, uh, obviously, it's a big issue if your website suddenly goes down and your emails are not available. So do look into that. Sally, we've covered a lot of ground here. If you're going to summarise. Yeah, in summary, there's going to be a huge kind of environmental change in terms of um, intellectual property, particularly trademarks and, and designs uh, on the 1st of January. Just kind of simply put, to give it some kind of context, the UK register currently has about 750,000 trademarks uh, sitting on that register. After we get all these cloned rights, there's going to be 2.4 million more. So there's going to be many more disputes to deal with. And actually, we can expect you know, a little bit of disruption. Um, so a little bit of organization, uh, I think, is an important thing to do. So what can you do? Uh, well, if you file an EUI trademark now, you're not going to get a cloned right. It typically takes four to five months for those trademark rights to register. So think about filing in the UK now before that trademark register, I guess, explodes with new rights. Uh, make sure that your records for EU-wide rights are up to date because otherwise you're going to have to update two sets of records. So take that step now to make sure that notifications go to the right place and, and everything is as streamlined as possible. Make sure that you record all relevant dates. So there is this nine-month window to um, file trademark applications, for example. You've got another period for recording licenses. Make sure that you record those dates. You have them in your diary and you work towards them. And as I say, make sure you capture all the dates in terms of the cloned rights, particularly renewal dates. As I say, some people are a little bit confused about renewal dates because it will show as renewed on the EU register, even if the renewal is after the 1st of January, but there will be a separate renewal required in the UK. Look at agreements, as I mentioned. Think about existing and planned agreements, what territories and rights they cover. Finally, budget for extra rights in your portfolio and possibly increase level of disputes. With ongoing disputes take stock, there may be strategic steps that can be taken. Great. Thanks, Sally. Well, for now, let's wrap up there. I'm Nadine Mir, and I'd like to say thanks so much to Sally for joining me for this Michigan Academy Digital Sessions podcast. The Digital Sessions are a series of online events, videos, and podcasts, all available at mishcon.com. And if you've got any questions you'd like answered, 
or suggestions of what you'd like us to cover, do let us know at digitalsessions at mishcon.com. Until next time, take care. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com.